0: Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, your podcast for insights into the European VC industry. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends, and join our Slack community at theeuropeanvc.com forward slash community. And don't forget, if you are about to raise a fund or an international round, do let us know and we'll be happy to introduce you to relevant investors. Today, we're happy to welcome you to Victor Galstrom, founding partner of VEQ, a Swedish micro VC. Victor is an entrepreneur-turned-venture-builder-turned-venture-investor and has hands-on experience from, as he says himself, making all the classic mistakes with his own startup to then founding a highly successful venture builder called Ventures across four countries and now also launching VEQ to fund pre-seed seed seed founders in the Nordics and Baltics. Want to be on top of who the best up-and-coming emerging VCs are in Europe? and maybe even invest with them. Pre-register for our newsletter on theemergingvc.substack.com and be the first to get in the know.
1: Hi Victor, welcome to yet another episode of EUVC. How is everything?
2: Hi guys, happy to be here. I'm all good here in Stockholm.
1: Awesome. We always start on a personal side And this time we did some digging and we managed to speak to your wife. (laughs) So no pressure there. (laughs) You know, she revealed to us that you're quite a versatile person, that you've climbed Sweden's highest mountain, and I don't dare to say the name, so please do after I ask this question. You didn't only do that, you did that on a four-day water fasting. And she also shared with us that you played the world championship in Magic the Gathering. By the way, when I was a kid, I used to do that, and I was terrible at it. But that you went up to play the world championship in Las Vegas last year, and you finished top 16. Yeah. Where the hell is the connection between the two, and what is driving (laughs) you to do all these weird things that seem unconnected?
2: Those were both very fun experiences in my life. I think the connection is that I like to experiment and test the boundaries a bit. So when we climbed Kebne on a four-day fasting, that was tougher than I expected, but I had been experimenting with fasting for a long time. So that was the peak of that challenge. And we actually made it to the top, not having eaten in three days. At least some of us <laughs> made it to the top. And the Magic the Gathering, I think, is a fantastic game for those of you who haven't played it. It's a combination of chess, poker, and you know a little bit of fantasy thrown in there and playing the world championship in vegas was a fantastic experience
3: i have to ask for you to get to that level how many hours <laughs> do you need to pour into uh you know i played world of warcraft back in the days and just to become one of the best on the server i gave away my life for three years <laughs>
2: yeah, i know that feeling
3: yeah, i play i
2: play that game too a lot to be honest, it was a special format that I competed in, which requires not as much playtesting as the sort of standard format, which makes it possible to play, you know, even though you don't spend day and night playing Magic the Gathering. So, yeah. But some people do play on the Pro Tour, and that's all they do, basically. So
1: we could continue with stories about Magic the Gathering. I actually also participated in some championships, but I was crap. <laughs> so let's not go there. <laughs> you no, know, we'll be talking about your journey and your journey is really interesting because it's a journey from venture builder to venture investor. Share with our audience the inception story of ventures. And give us a quick rundown of what you guys are doing on that side and then later on we'll deep dive into the more recent developments
2: so uh, i mean quick intro to me i'm an engineer in you know education wise not programming engineer though but quite a broad sort of educational background I, i worked as a management consultant in stockholm and london for five six years did you know strategy commercial due diligence processes and you're an industrial engineer right uh, yeah, exactly yeah. exactly same so, here
3: so yeah that good. that's a,
2: a good education but i would have wished you know become a
3: little bit better at coding and programming to be honest yeah. but wasn't my thing happy that i'm a finance major so i don't know shit <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
2: that's another way to do it. No, but I got tired of the sort of corporate world and I really wanted to, you know, test my wings as an entrepreneur. So I founded a company together with a friend and we failed, you know, miserably. We did all the errors you could do in the book, not having a business model in place, not having tested the product with the users and you know all the things you can do and wrong we did. So after that we built Ventures, which is a venture studio where we had a vision to help entrepreneurs to realize their digital ideas and products and we had the business model from the start that we take equity as part of the payment instead of cash to actually build a portfolio of companies so we did that for five years ventures now is still a a great company expanding i'm not going to reveal too much here but (laughs) we are already in the baltics and are coming to new cities uh, within short so and then, as a natural follow-on to that, this June, actually, I took the initiative to found our investment company called Vec VEQ, and I guess we'll come more into that in a bit. Uh, definitely.
1: Let me start with a question that uh, it's partially stolen from one of your partners, Maria Bergsten. I hope I'm saying that right. Yeah, yeah. Why the hell does an entrepreneur go into the venture building business and doesn't try to set up a new venture, right? You had that learning. What drove you to go that route? To be
2: honest, I think that I... With my background, I am and I'm a very you know social and emotional person who likes to connect with other people. So with my background also from the strategy consulting and mm-hmm. uh, that part, I was better at actually being a coach and a strategic level than actually being a product company builder. And I had always dreamed you know of becoming an investor as well. So for me, that was a way with less
3: friction, to be honest, and uh, my
2: dream. So that's why I yeah. followed that
3: path. Yeah. That's the transition from being entrepreneur to venture builder how about then from going from the venture builder business and being in that role to the investor uh, role for me that was a natural next step as well the main reason being you
2: know we we'll may become more into that but the reason why we started VEC because we saw that now we had our portfolio of very early stage tech startups and they needed extra funding and you know instead of giving all those opportunities away to other vcs the rational and logical thing to do was to actually start our own investment company. That's probably why I took that step as well.
1: On the venture builder side here, just to make sure everyone understands, you know, there's several models out there from building them in-house with dedicated teams to finding companies that already exist and running them through an accelerator program. You know, there's so many different models out there or even, you know, mm. building for corporates. I've also seen that a lot. What's your model? Describe it a bit so we understand.
2: Totally agree. There's so many ways to do that. Some, I think, are better than others. I met a company just the other day who had a venture studio holding, you know, 65% of the shares in the company. and. That's very hard to invest into because you don't have the knowledge and the incentive in the company. Those kind of models, I think, are not viable. How we have done it, Ventures, is to partner up with entrepreneurs quite early, invest together with other investors, angels mostly, in maybe the first or the second, you know, financing round the company ever ever do. Mm -hmm. We invest cash alongside the other investors, but then. You know, the week after we invoice it back and instead the company gets a pool of a thousand hours that they can use with all our resources and help build the product and the company. And so it's a sort of cash neutral way. And then we take only a corner, maybe, you know, five, max 10% of a company. I think it's very important that the founders are the ones in the driving seat. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Why did you go that route of doing that? As you said, cash neutral approach versus standard sweat equity. What was the thought process behind that?
2: I mean, I think we've experimented with different models as well, and we have done other things as, you know, start entities from scratch together with founders as well. But, you know, the different setup depends on which country you're doing business in primarily because there are different tax rules and even what's allowed to do in sweat equity world. So our approach is a sweat equity setup, but it's done in our way. Other people do it in other ways. So
1: any pushback from founders and or other investors within that model or is it something that's been quite easy to deal with?
2: What I myself encounter as an investor today, that there's a little bit of a skepticism around sweat equity from investors, mainly due to the reason that you want the competence and the knowledge to be part of the company you're investing in. So there's definitely issues there. And the way we have worked around that to actually add value to other investors is that once we have invested with ventures in our sweat equity model, we have initiated a process to start help uh, helping the company build their own tech team, recruit the best CTO if they don't have one, and help them to stand on their own legs. And this is very important for us. I mean, we in ventures, you know, we want to build multiple successful tech startups, and we can't be a part of those teams, if we're going to be able to do that, they have to be able to stand by themselves.
3: You You being on both sides, I'm thinking you must have some good experience as to what should VCs make sure of when they're investing in startups that are originated from a venture builder and how would you go about diligencing it and so on? That's a good
2: question. I think that, you know, first of all, there's venture builders and there's venture builders. Mm -hmm. I mean, the classical sort of IT consulting companies and, you know, digital bureaus that have... You know ad hoc taking equity in payment from a customer there's so many models that they don't really have the competence and knowledge to build the tech startups in those companies you know i wouldn't invest at all as a vc or as an investor on the other hand i mean companies coming out from you know 500 startups or yc or ventures in the nordics that's only a for me like a strength to see that these companies and these founders have gotten this advice and this sort of coaching early on, so then I know that they have probably done things in a good way and actually maybe even avoided some of these mistakes that, for example, I did in my first venture. You know, you can look at it in two different ways there.
3: The unfortunate thing is that there aren't that many big brand name venture builders and we're seeing so many, which also means that the early stage deal flow is also being flooded with startups coming from these venture builders. There's a blank slate there. You don't know the venture builder at all. They haven't gotten an established name yet. What kind of questions would you ask to the founders and what would you look for? I would definitely make sure that
2: the founders have built a team that understands what the venture builder has done, that can take over that knowledge about the product, the tech stack, everything about it into the company. I would make sure that the venture builder does not hold you know, any more than maximum 10% of the companies to make sure that the founders are actually you know, incentivized and can, despite dilution in coming rounds, you know, maintain a healthy share of the company. And then definitely do uh, the diligence on the work that the Venture Builder has done, uh, whether it be a tech diligence or other stuff.
1: You kind of answered to my next question, which is what's the golden nugget or golden standard in terms of equity stake? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think you kind of just answered there are venture builders out there going quite higher as you said you know and we've also we've seen a couple we've spoken to a couple and then i've started seeing more and more going over that 10 15 range which most vcs that i know say that's what they think is the max that makes sense yeah is this a trend is this a fad
2: what's your feeling about it there are different ways to go about it sure the venture builders you know maybe the sort of in-house corporate venture builders or some programs they have a minority stake in the companies yeah. they build and that's maybe fine Maybe those companies have another strategy and another funding strategy. They don't need to take in a VC in a Series A or something like that. They yeah, can true. maybe be profitable from start or they yeah. can get funding from the corporate or they have a strategy to merge with some other company or whatever. And then that can work. But I think if you want to play the VC game, I would strongly advise to founders out there listening that you know do not take on A venture builder that has a significant share of your cap table because that would create problems in later stages
1: absolutely the second topic i think is interesting is if you as a founder then decide okay i'm going to give away uh, not give away but we can see five ten percent whatever that number is Mm. what to expect and you also into that you know some partners that don't really understand what venture is and then taking these five percent a Mm. bit blindly Mm. so how should founders as well diligence the venture builders
2: it's very important that you agree from the start and have that sort of full day workshop on expectations, not only in terms of scope of the product you're building or whatever, but also on how should we work together? What are the you know premises for this collaboration? And what's the long-term plan? In our case, we have only used sort of a straight exchange of hours for equity in cash. So it would be as any other customer. I think it's not healthy either when venture builders say that we will build your product for 5%, mm-hmm. no matter what it takes to build your product. And then the founders doesn't you know have to worry at all about how much time and resources and hours they spend on this, because then they build stuff that are not going to be the MVP features or the most important features of the product. So yeah. having a balance where they have to prioritize and actually pay a little bit for each hour used, that's, I think, a model that also forces companies to build the best and most important features in the product.
1: Based on your experience, what should venture builders think of when partnering with VCs?
2: Okay, good question. I think for most venture builders, when they feel that they've succeeded with the companies, when they've managed to get the company to the next stage, and when someone else sort of takes over the torch and carries the company further, And that's normally a vc in a seed late seed or a series a round i think as a venture builder it's very important to build connections with investors in your region arrange events i mean with ventures we've had these yearly mingles where we invited the whole sort of venture capital stockholm to our office we have a nice terrace there we have mingles and you know also appreciated by the vcs because they get to see a lot of Uh, A know, showcased at the same time, uh, you know, a very efficient deal sourcing methodology for VCs. So build that relationship.
3: Let's say, okay, you're coming from this background, venture builder background, and now you've raised VEC. And the interesting question is, what is your investment thesis? Are you solely focused on venture builder uh, spin outs or (laughs) what are you doing? From this summer, I work almost
2: exclusively with VEC, our new investment company. And that's my full focus going forward. In VEC, we have created sort of an evergreen structure. We can speak more about that later. We felt that we have a lot of, you know, proprietary deal flow, which we give away, which of course is an edge for VEC. But we also look at all the different deals that we get from other sources and that we haven't worked with ventures before. So not only venture build their companies our investment thesis there is to really be in the sort of early, early stage, grassroots. find these, you know, grassroots hubs. So Ventures, just to explain, we have hubs in different cities in the Nordics and the Baltics. And I think it was Joe who said on your podcast earlier that you want to be the investor that the first time the entrepreneurs looks out of their garage to find money, which investor is the one they see. And I think that is something that we uh, really try to be in Northern Europe. So in these different hubs, we have this different with equity portfolios. And VEC is sort of a natural next step investor for the best companies from all of these different hubs. Uh, but also we look at all the deals that maybe, you know, they've come to us from other sources that don't. So we do very you know early stage. It has to be a digital tech software. It can be a little bit of hardware components, but mainly software companies. We're very flexible in terms of holding period and deal structure. We normally do an average of around, you know, five hundred thousand euros tickets, but it can go down to two hundred thousand. It can go up a bit. Strategy now is to aim at over the next one to two years, do uh, ten to twenty of these kind of investments spread across Northern Europe, basically.
3: And with that ticket size, I would think that. Many of the startups are still at a stage where the ventures arm of what you're doing, so the venture builder will actually also be able to provide some value. Are you doing it that way as well? We could do. I mean, also very important to
2: say is that in VIC we have our own investment committee. So those decisions are completely separated from what Mm -hmm. ventures invest in with the Mm -hmm. venture builder model. But so we do pre-seed and seed stages with VIC, So that could definitely be rounds where a venture builder
3: could participate as well. Let's go to the topic you've teased a few times, the uh, evergreen investment company structure. This is a model that we're seeing seeing more and more emerging managers used to break into the industry instead of raising a full-fledged fund that has a closed end and all that. Very interesting. Please take us through it. When we decided to start VEC,
2: I coming without experience from having run a VC firm before. So firstly, It's quite hard, you know, to raise a VC investment vehicle. So what I did was make sure I have the right competence around me. So I teamed up with two advisors that one, you know, private equity friend of mine who really knows the treats of investing and one legal expert, which really knows that part of the side, which is also important. I teamed up with my partner, Maria, who also had worked in the industry investing for a few years. And then basically we did our DD on should we set up, you know, the classical VC fund with EIF and the fund structure and all that? Or should we start this sort of more agile, evergreen, smaller structure with private investors from our network? Since I am an entrepreneur as well and quite eager to get started, it was a very easy choice to actually go the second route when we saw how much administration and time it would take to raise, you know, a bigger and more classic VC fund. And then, I mean, with the evergreen structure, I think that's just plainly better for the companies. I've heard other people in your podcast mention it as well, but it gives better returns to lps i think because it doesn't you know force an investor to, to sell at a specific time and it gives better value to the companies because you can align more with what's best for the company instead of having to sell the company at the end of the life cycle for the fund
1: there's definitely a parallelism there with what uh, one of our former guests vineth from draper shared that you know patient capital through the ipo route is completely mm-hmm. different routes but you're hinting to the same added value. That's very interesting. One question that comes to mind: I have no idea if this is something you're comfortable with disclosing. So we'll cut it if you're not. <laughs> but uh, you know, typical fund two hundred and twenty model, quite standard. You know, easy to deal with. LPs know what to expect. You know, some people vary it a bit or play with the management fee a bit, and that's it. In a structure like yours, it's a bit different, right?
2: Yeah, I'm happy to share a high level view of how we've done it. First of all, we think that these you know management fees that become, you know, higher and higher, the bigger the funds get. You know, that's really not a way to, you know, incentivize the managers to do a good job and a bit of a old school way of doing VC. And I think that will disappear more or less. I mean, it's not what aligns the incentives. So we have, instead of that, we have just a budget, a cost coverage budget that we all pay for, you know, including ourselves. And then we have a model where we have, A different kind of you know instruments uh, different kind of share classes in the company while we invest a smaller amount of the capital we get a larger amount of the company of course after we've also returned the capital to the investor so we have a sort of a hurdle interest as well I mean the model is quite similar to 20 model except for that we have a capped management fee.
1: Which is what the big institutional LPs
2: ask all funds, so it's the same <laughs> at the end yeah. of the day. <laughs> so, so, uh, exactly, so,
3: so it's, it's quite similar. The way you manage it is different in the sense that it doesn't come from a full pool, but it comes from the individual investments, I guess. My thinking is when you have another asset class inside these startups, that also means, I'm guessing, that your carry is paid on the individual investment, not on the full fund. You're correct. Every investment
2: we do in the investment company is, of course, calculated, but then we actually aggregate it as well. So uh, you're you're partly right.
3: (laughs) 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 These are my calculation afterwards.
1: You need to leverage your financial background, Andreas, for that question.
3: (laughs) How about uh, distributions? So when are you allowed to take money out and so on? Yeah, so we have a policy that at exits, we uh,
2: distribute the money back to shareholders. Also, we have a um, policy that when we need more capital, we ask the shareholders to contribute and draw down that capital. And of course, if there's one shareholder that doesn't want to contribute then another shareholder can take their rata instead or or if we need we could definitely bring another shareholder in another lp or investor into the company so
3: how are those decisions governed what are the investors committed to doing and really have a hard time getting out of and to what extent can you as a management company or as the managers of the investment company say okay we want to take in five new investors first of all what's really important to say i think also why we chose this structure is that to actually
2: you know make business with people that you really trust and are close to and you have a personal relationship to i think that is very important and a luxury that we have so i really trust And know all of our shareholders in VEC, which feels very good. So we have a very, you know, open discussion and transparent. And to answer your question, I mean what we all have agreed on is basically a sort of a a 10-year horizon
3: that we're gonna try to stick into this. Then what happens after that, you know, we'll see. Ah, that's cool. That's cool. You managed to start up and raise the Exxon capital pretty fast. It only took one year. I am thinking, could you maybe share some of your experience on running that fundraise process? Just shed some light on it. You said, of course, that it's primarily from people you know and trust. But how did you make everyone come together? Oftentimes, there's also some governance issues that are difficult to get. Many of these guys are angels already, uh, them to agree on. You're definitely right. I think even though I anticipated that it would be hard
2: and take time to start this company, it was as hard, if not harder. I'm not gonna say that it was a lot harder than I thought because I had, you know, a lot of respect for it. Yeah, we we get a lot of no's in the beginning as well from a lot of, you know, LPs and different kind of investors that, you know, didn't think that our structure was fit for them or that didn't think that I had the proper, you know, investment sort of experience. Also I think one thing that really made this possible for us was that we chose to do it in the smaller and private environment and not aim for starting the eif fund straight away and i think to be honest that's probably not something that i will want to do i would want to continue to work in a more sort of agile evergreen maybe who knows maybe the big um, institutional piece might come around and change what they invest in as well uh, no so i mean a lot of hard work really to make the right strategic decisions in how to set up the structure connect yourself with People around you that have the experience that you lack. So if you're an emerging manager and and don't have tons of experience, you need to find those people that do
3: and that can advise you. So that's what I did. I have one question, Victor. We're getting towards the end here, so I'll be quick. But you said you had received a lot of no's. I'm curious, how would you say that you should handle a no? In many cases, you'd say that a commitment to a fund is such a big commitment that if you don't get a resounding yes the first time you speak to them or can really see that they're interested, then just drop it. Don't try and argue. To get a
2: yes, you have to build a relation with a person, an investor to go around and ask for money the first thing you do maybe isn't the smartest thing either so to try to build relations with these different lps or investors and create a long-term relationship i think that's the best way to get them to trust you and invest in you i think we did that mistake in the beginning to you know maybe not do that you just have to stay positive and it's a grind you know so i'm <laughs> quite a you know positive and happy person normally so i just tried to you know okay thank you fully understand wish you all the best of luck and let's keep in touch and just take a no and you know call the next one
3: yeah (laughs) yeah yeah
1: okay victor as you know we love to end the episodes with a quick fire round that's quick answer questions 30 to 60 seconds each are you ready ready as i'll ever be (laughs) Good to know. First question: As an investor and a venture builder, what areas excite you the most that other people don't really care about?
2: I mean, one thing that happened just the other day that I can get excited about is when I see a very well structured tech stack, and when a CTO in a company, you know, takes me through that, you know, technical architecture and how all the data flows, etc. I think that's something you know many investors might not think is that exciting. But I think that can be beautiful. So I think seeing that where the logic sits, how the data flows and understand that, you know, even though I'm not a real engineer, I, I think that's, that's, be, that's beautiful.
1: Yeah, you're an industrial engineer. We're suckers for processes, right? <laughs> yeah,
3: I guess. I guess.
1: I guess. Second question of the Quickfire Round. What's the most counterintuitive thing you've learned since starting VEC?
2: One thing I learned last week, actually. I met a health tech startup, you know, one thing that was very counterintuitive to me was that it's good to have a high variance in your heart rate frequency. That seems very (laughs) irrational. But the reason is that a low variance correlates with stress. And imagine if you're hunted by a lion on the Savannah, you know, your body has to pump out a lot of blood at exactly the optimal concentration and frequency to maximize your chances of survival. Nothing can go wrong. And hence you know a high frequency when you are not stressed, and the heart is relaxed and can pump a little bit like when it suits itself, when it suits the body and the heart yeah. That was really interesting, I think, and <laughs> counterintuitive.
1: <Yeah, yeah>. Little <laughs> healthcare insights there for our listeners. <laughs> Keep that very high. Yeah. Final question: What can we expect in the future from Victor and from Vec?
2: We will continue to build out our footprint of investments throughout Europe. Definitely expand both the team, you know, and the capital available to us to be able to continue investing in these pre-seed and seed rounds. I think we'll stick around there. If you're listening and think this sounds interesting, don't hesitate to contact me directly. You know, no matter if you're a founder, fund manager that we can co-invest with, happy to do that. We're an investor that thinks this is an interesting, um, you know,
3: setup. So I'm always, you know, happy and, and open to talks. And with that, that is the end of the European VC today. Thank you a million. Victor for joining us. It was great to have you here and talk about your path from founder to venture builder to VC.
2: Very, very fun to talk with you guys. You're a great great bunch and happy to keep in touch for a long time going forward. Thanks, Victor.
0: Awesome. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the European VC, your podcast for insights into the European VC industry. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends, and join our Slack community at the European forward slash community. And don't forget if you you would like to suggest topics or guests for future episodes join our community and help make the best pod for everything european vc and if you are about to raise a fund or an international round do let us know and we'll be happy to introduce you to relevant investors